Hello and welcome back to episode three, I believe. This is of the Dutiful Future show. Today I have a fantastic and very special guest, Mr. John Chilvers. Good morning. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm very excited. I'd like to introduce yourself. What do you do? Um, anything about yourself? <laughs> yes, great to be here. Um, my name is Jonathan Chilvers. I uh, am an elected county councillor on Warwickshire County Council. I represent Leamington, Brunswick, which is kind of that south of the mm. river bit where um, maybe over a thousand students live in my uh, the area I represent. So I may well be <laughs> your uh, county councillor. And it's great to be back. I'm uh, a graduate from Warwick University more years ago now than I care to remember and I studied <laughs> history and politics. Yeah, we had a, a fantastic conversation outside about the political theory from Hobbes module, if any of us do that. Uh, for somehow it hasn't changed too much uh, in, in the uh, not very long time since Mr. Chilvers was here. Um, anyway, so today we're going to be talking primarily about Green Party politics, as of course John is a uh, Green Party representative, um, about the future of um, Green politics in the UK, specifically of the party and also just of the future. So I think we can start this off straight away. John, what are your core values as a politician, both Leamington and as a wider, um, in, in a wider scope? Yes. So the, the Green Party is obviously best known for kind of environmental values and how we can live within our means uh, on our planet and kind of what that outworks. But the outworking of that covers, you know, all of economics and, and politics. So it's kind of a, an underlying green philosophy that spreads out into kind of all areas. And there's some other key things for the Green Party uh, in the UK, and that is a focus on, on social justice, how we uh, radically change things to make it better for the least... Uh, uh, well off in our society, and also the principle of non-violent direct activism. So we're very much a think and do party. And so those are probably some of the, the key things. Okay, very interesting. So uh, in 20, I believe it was 17, um, well, I'm sorry, it was last year, actually, Parliament declared a climate emergency in the United Kingdom. Um, what are your opinions on the climate crisis? Do you believe we are in the midst of a crisis? Or, and if so, what are the I would say top three things that need to be done in order to try and begin to curtail, uh, you know, this sort of, I guess, crisis. Yeah. So I definitely think we're in a crisis. I think we've known about the challenge and the threats of climate change for a long time, but we've wasted so many years. And we've over the last kind of 20 years, we've had little peaks of interest. But as a society, we've never really got to grips with the kind of the sheer scale of what we need to change. Uh, and so now we're we're on uh, a knife edge. And actually, we know that some of the climate change is built in. So whatever we do now, we're still going to need to adapt quite considerably uh, to, to the climate. So I would say that's actually one of the first things that we need to do, regardless of anything else. We need to think about how we adapt uh, in the run up. You know, there's there's um, 10 million homes at risk down the east coast of, of England. You know, we 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 face a uh, internal refugee crisis in in over the next generation and so adaptation and looking at what that means for us uh, as a society would be be number one thing to look at number two obviously is how do we as as a country and as our planet get to uh, carbon neutrality and there's a huge range of things we need to look at um, but and, and it's very easy for people to get caught up on little things they can see, which I think is important. Um, so, you know, whether you t 
turn the light off or whether you, you uh, what mode of transport you take on mm-hmm. a particular journey. But there's also some really big underlying things like um, the in, where we invest our pensions, which potentially have can have a huge impact on um, on kind of the the structure of that what the world economy, mm-hmm. if you like, and uh, and the energy that we how we produce our energy. So it's more than just a individual problem. It's not just, you know, um, putting your can of Diet Coke in the bin. It's uh, an institutional and a broader economic thing that needs to be shifted. Yeah. Yeah. And so sometimes I think we, uh, like at the county council at the moment, we're kind of scoping what emissions are used by the county council as an organisation and by the whole of Warwickshire as a whole. And sometimes people get hung up on well if we if we used a bit less paper mm-hmm. we would save 100 tons of carbon dioxide a year and i'm saying yeah but you could spend thousands of pounds doing that <laughs> whereas the carbon emissions produced by all the vehicle journeys on our a roads and minor roads mm-hmm. in warwickshire is over a million tons oh, okay <laughs> and so it's kind of that that scope mm-hmm. and so just trying to look at it and go okay where are our quick wins where can we make a really big impact if we could take one percent of vehicle journeys off the road in in warwickshire that would save us ten thousand mm-hmm. tons of carbon dioxide okay very interesting so it, it, it's not just about doing um everything that we can see or that we can it's it's about doing things that are smart it's about solving yeah. the problem in a smart way absolutely um, i think it's important at this point to recognize that me and john agree probably on, on most of this stuff but i'm going to be playing devil's advocate yes. um so i'm going to have to ask the very basic question which i think is quite prominent uh particularly in online sort of conservative circles uh is the uk not already doing very well um so fossil fuels produce less than half of the uk electricity um scotland is on path to be entirely reliant on fossil fuels uh 20, 20, 2018 uk emissions were 44 percent below 1990 levels uh and the uk seems to be at least specifically on fossil fuels quite ahead of um europe and the other countries who are prioritizing these issues do you think we're we're doing enough or do you think that you know perhaps other countries need to pull their weight in a sense yeah, there's lies and damn lies and statistics, aren't there? <laughs> and the, the key uh, damn lie under that, <laughs> that figure is that we've outsourced so much of mm. our carbon dioxide emissions uh, through outsourcing our manufacturing to China uh, and other places. And so it's all very well saying that, yeah, we're, we're no longer burning so much um, uh, many emissions, but we need to factor mm-hmm. in uh, the entire um, the entire cost, carbon cost of our our living standards, mm. uh, whether that's you know meat eating or what we produce, and uh, and that actually helps us to think about this on a global scale rather than just fixing our own backyard. Perhaps it's not just a production model of climate change we need to care about; it's also a consumer model. So the fact that we you know as as you said the manufacturers moved across, mm-hmm. the fact that we demand so much is incurring this greater issues in other countries and you were saying about solving some of these issues in a smart way Mm -hmm. the stuff we buy and the services we buy need to the cost of those need to reflect Mm -hmm. the true cost to our planet and because otherwise we're just building a debt up for future generations you know i've got two children every time that I go on a journey or buy something that the true cost isn't reflected when I buy that product, I am building up a, giving them a debt that they're going to have to deal with. And, you know, that's going to be uh, very difficult for them. So would you, would you um, 
believe that um so as you say with the especially in the issue of manufacturing going abroad um would you place the owner ownership on solving this problem in terms of the uk putting more international pressure on other countries to increase uh, to improve their green productions and that's sort of more of an external factor or would you say that it's more of a thing with internal the uk that we need to start not buying things from certain places and sort of let the market dictate i would say that we are in the are in a position to ask to see that entire supply chain so when we buy products into this country and this could be the uk government post brexit you know we've got an opportunity <laughs> to um, make a different trade policy we we could demand stronger evidencing of our supply chains which would look at you know our, our mass, the massive companies around the world who say we well, can't trade here unless you're showing us the true cost of the products you're you're producing and that that's an environmental and a social justice issue uh, so and i think big companies are just beginning to think about kind of some of the provenance of where their materials mm. come from and and we need to really continue to to push that it could be perhaps a similar model to um pre bill clinton um I guess, trade policy, which was um, you only trade with countries if they align with your certain moral values, which, you know, he kind of abandoned when he opened up trade routes quite prominently with China. Um, perhaps we need to adapt our sort of trade policies to be more in terms of, OK, we'll trade with you, but you need to um, align with these certain, um, I guess, green policies in terms of, um, for example, carbon production. Uh, I'm, a pragmat I'm a pragmatist, so <laughs> I wouldn't, as a certain countries that are just like completely beyond the pale but most countries i would want to kind of in a negotiation format and saying well it's about what are our priorities and what we're asking for at that negotiation table and we can see where we can where we can take that and if we prioritize things like as i say uh, greener supply chains then that can have a big impact. But it's not just, we all know that there's hugely influential multinational companies around the world. So it's not purely about negotiating with individual countries. Could you not say that though, for example, um, you know, who the, the two top countries in pollution is China and America, I believe. Yeah. Could you say that they're probably the two least likely you'll ever be able to agree to at least even something as, as basic as um, being more transparent in terms of that supply chain? So could you say if, you, if that is not something that's particularly possible or assuming that it's not particularly possible, surely any attempts could simply be seen as a drop in the water? Yeah, but we've got to engage with those countries because they, they are the biggest one. And we've, we, we've got to recognise that, you know, we're not the most powerful country in the world. <laughs> but that's not to say that we can't have an international presence and an international influence. And it's, it's what we use that influence mm. for that i think is important so uh specifically back to the uk again um the uk has currently it's 2050 targets for things like carbon neutrality yeah. do you think that that's too far away or would you say that's a that's a reasonable goal but we're not doing enough to reach that no i think it's too far away okay i would want to aim for a 2030 carbon neutral target in this country mm -hmm. i think in terms of the psychology of how politicians work <laughs> if you put a target any further in the future yeah. it's just like oh well we'll yeah. leave that for the next guys uh, yeah. so and you know it is it's it is a crisis it's an emergency the science is telling us that that's where we need to get to i'll bet you know the best 
you know, the best approximation we have, you know, no model is perfect, but that's what we need to aim for. And yeah, it's, it is a huge challenge. It would mean an incredibly fast change in our society over the next decade. But that's what we need to do. This, this should be akin to being on a war footing. Mm -hmm. And as a country, we achieved more in that five years in terms of, uh, technology development and production of, uh, of planes and, uh, and all those things. So that is how we should be viewing this. And actually, I think it's something in this kind of very divisive post-Brexit or <laughs> Brexit period, mm. the fight against climate change mm. is something that could bring us together as a country because we, we need the brightest and the best people to be tackling this problem. So I don't want our brightest and best people to be spending their years... <laughs> in the arms trade, uh, which, you know, with the second largest <laughs> arms. I want, I want, if I was in the government, I'd be going sitting down to those companies and saying, you know, we're going to start tightening what you can do on arms, mm -hmm. you, know, we're, you know, export licenses, all that kind of stuff. That's going to go over the next couple of years. But we want to help you transition and take your best people to face this massive challenge of climate change. One could even compare it to um, similar to, I believe it's, you know, a Bernie Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez's message in, the, UK, in the, um, the USA, where it's the green industrial revolution. And I think that was part of Corbyn's campaign. But anyway, so that's sort of particularly appealing, as you said, as, as a unifying force. Um, I think a lot of people would generally accept that one of the driving forces behind Brexit was, you know, loss of jobs and that sort of feeling um, left behind by current economic systems. And you could say that a green industrial revolution and making so many more jobs for these sorts of people and in these sorts of sectors could be a very important way of uniting the country around something so important. Absolutely. And we, the jobs market is always changing and people are, are always nervous at, at, about how the jobs market is changing. But I think we can definitely, and again, it's about, it's about how we do some of this stuff. So for instance, uh, insulation to reduce energy is, it's not the most glamorous thing to talk about, but it is something that potentially could produce quite a lot of jobs uh, and, and training. And likewise, I would like to see us uh, reduce tax on employment, but increase tax on stuff. So again, it's about reflecting that true cost of things. And that encourages uh, job creation. And so when you then look at kind of how we the throwaway society and how we it encourages it makes it stuff cheaper to mend stuff because if you you're creating jobs in doing that and making it more the stuff the materials more expensive in the first place and that again is job creation very interesting okay um so there's a amazing study by i believe it's markowitz done relatively recently which basically um tried to investigate the separation between when you ask people do you believe climate change is man-made? And it's generally, you know, there's very few people who would deny that it's man-made or deny mm -hmm. that it exists entirely. And the difference between them saying, all right, so what would you want to do about it? Would you vote on action or would you actually do things yourself? And there's a quite a prominent, um, there's a gap between the first two statements in terms of, I think there's a problem, but I don't want to do anything about it. But also saying the attitude behavior gap where I want to do something, but I can't. And they addressed a number of issues, which were things like guilty bias. So people think they're to blame. And they, they say, oh, it's, it can't be that bad because, you know, they assume oh, if they're responsible, they want to downplay the problem. There was things like, you know, um, uh, distance horizons. You know, it seems like it's so far away. Um, the difficulty of understanding blameless action. So they don't think there's anyone really to blame. Yep. So how do you really tackle it? 
Do you see any problem in these sort of specific issues amongst individuals in order to convince them to vote on action and actually put these issues right in the front and actually into government? This is what I think good politics is about, is about providing leadership and vision about where we need to go as a society. And I think people want to do the right thing, if it generally speaking, uh, but it, it needs it, they need to know that other people are also doing the right thing. It's kind of that competitive instinct we have as a species we don't want. And we need to have a sense of where we're going mm -hmm. uh, together. And to me, that's what... Mm. We as that's our job as politic <laughs> politicians to provide mm -hmm. that vision and leadership and to say we can do this mm -hmm. it's going to be difficult but we can all go on that mm -hmm. that journey together so yeah i mean and climate change is a particularly difficult problem in that psychological sense as you've outlined because it seems so far away it seems like an individual's actions are so small and People are all saying, oh, well, we don't know if any one particular thing is it, whether incident is climate change. So, yeah, it's difficult for all those reasons, but it's not insurmountable. OK. And there was another study, I believe, by Kennedy, which on a, amongst a similar issue, essentially asked people, why aren't you doing things about climate change? Mm -hmm. And the number one answer was time and money. Yeah. Um, and... There was a, their conclusion was essentially the best way to get at least specifically individuals to do things is to improve their standard of living. And perhaps the best way to actually give people this time and give people these you know, funds or the feeling that they are secure mm -hmm. enough to act is to uh, improve an economy. Um, and that's where you could fall down perhaps the more... I can't remember the exact person who made the argument, but I think it's a more right-leaning argument, which is to say... The only way to solve this problem is to not sacrifice GDP. We have to have a strong economy and then we can solve these problems by giving us the time or the energy to not. Would you say that we have to sacrifice some form of economic growth or would you say that those two things can be congruent and they can go together? I think if you go too far down that line, you end up tying yourself in knots, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, so I definitely, I think there's... Climate change, as I say, is going to happen whether we like it or not. And if we don't do anything about it, it will happen in a catastrophic way, which will be very, you know, which will be very bad for people's standards. A, a, a real living. shame. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Yes, a classic British understatement. Uh, or we can try and manage that change. And again, this has come back to the role of government, isn't it? To make it as least bad as possible so that doesn't i mean it doesn't answer your question directly mm. but we've just got to provide we've got to provide the financial incentives for people so it it, it does it makes it easy to make the right decision and as we've seen i know people talk about the plastic bag tax but it was a tiny financial incentive <laughs> that had this massive mm. impact so if we apply that in in other places that can work and i also think it's possibly about changing the framing of the argument in terms of GDP is about, well, what what's GDP for? Actually, it's about our own happiness and well-being. So let's let's chuck GDP, which is a pretty awful measure of, of, of wealth out the window and and say, well, as a society, we want to pursue other other ways of measuring how well we're doing and of course that includes fine i'm not mm -hmm, i'm course. not includes a financial you know there's, there's quite a lot of mm -hmm. evidence to show that people need a certain standard of living i think it's about twenty five thousand pounds a year in this country 
to be feel kind of comfortable and happy. And actually above that, people's happiness doesn't increase. It, it begins to rely on other factors. So I think we need to reframe the argument. Mm. One could say that perhaps the impending doom of humanity, as we see it, should be included in our, in our <laughs> economic uh, um, analysis. Um, okay, I'm going to go to a song now in our very first break. Um, this has been a very good first segment. The first song is going to be uh, Khalid's song 11. Enjoy. And we are back. That was a fine song. Unfortunately, they've taken out my favorite song, which I've played every single week so far, and I'm very upset. Oh, no. I'm very sad. I'm very sad. Um, back to more important things than my love of Tyler, the Creator. Um, we're going to move on to our next topic, which is still related to the Green Party. And this is specifically about the uh, governmental situation in Austria. Um, in Austria, there's been a, uh, a coalition formed very recently between the Conservative Party in Austria and the Green Party. Um, this was quite controversial because the Conservative Party, uh, the OVP, I believe, or it might be uh, because it's two dots over the O, um, known as the People's Party, they have uh, been dubbed one of the most right-wing parties in Austria. And their previous, uh, they were in government previously, and their coalition partners were the very anti-immigration, hardline, far-right party. Um, and this was obviously seen initially by, um, you know, green activists across Europe saying, oh, this is a great victory. We're in, you know, we've got a, we've got a voice in government. This is an important thing. But there became an, uh, a, an instant conflict in a sense, because in order to go into government with Kurz and his, and his um, OVP party, <clears throat> the, the um, Greens have had to give up some of their core values, specifically around immigration and social policy. Um, in in favor of taking pretty pretty actually um, advanced climate um, opinions. For example, uh, Austria's ahead in the UK in this. They want to be climate neutral by 2040, um, and they want to um, decrease uh, you know um, petrol powered cars and everything. Something by 2030, they want uh, all, nearly entirely um, nearly all their electricity to be from renewable sources. Um, and I guess the basic question is. Would you be willing in the UK, or what? Are, what is the price of the Green Party having a real say in government? Well, government? first of all, I don't think that going to coalition means you lose your values. So, it's about a hard-nosed negotiation about what you're going to be able to do, uh, and it's about weighing those risks and benefits. And so, I think nailing down a coalition agreement is something that. In most of European countries, they're a lot better at than we are in this country. So basically, I think the Liberal Democrats got well and truly screwed in 2010. <laughs> uh, and because they didn't nail down what they wanted, they weren't clear about what their priorities were and what they were absolutely going to do. And they weren't clear about when they were allowed to disagree within the coalition. And so, to me, it's about nailing down what is and is not going to happen. And so, I, for instance, I don't think the Liberal Democrats were wrong to go into coalition in 2010. But I do think they were, in, looking back, they were very, very naive um, and they didn't... Well, in this country, we just don't have a history of doing that kind of, <laughs> that kind of agreement. So that's kind of a bit of... The background. Uh, and so I haven't read that coalition agreement. It, <laughs> parts of it may not even be public. Mm -hmm. uh, but I 
I think there's nothing wrong with going into coalition uh, if you're really clear that, yeah, actually, we're being pragmatic. We're getting, we're getting a huge amount out on green infrastructure and stuff. We don't agree with the, the immigration stuff, but we are still able to say that we don't agree with mm-hmm. certain bits um, and <clears throat> and be clear that we are lobbying for change within our coalition, within from that, that position of power. Um, I would say that in Austria, at least specifically at this point, um, it seems like they've taken a a very clear stance very early on. I mean, the, the, the main slogan of their first speech together was protect our climate and protect our borders. Um, whether things can get bogged down in certain areas is a bit different, but there are very clear um, points in which um, the coalition agreement has been nailed down. And that has been on um, very anti-immigration um near you know closing towards nearing towards closed borders mm-hmm. very anti-refugee very anti-migrant uh, in almost any form um and the green parties were one of the largest criticisms of Kurz's previous government uh particularly for a lot of the policies that he is still espousing to continue and i the, and i would say that um essentially the green party have basically accepted um, you know, as you pointed out earlier, part of the Green Party's core, at least in the UK, is not just green politics, it's also social justice and those sort of issues. Do you not think that, at least in Austria and potentially in the UK, that that sacrifice in terms of things where immigration would most likely be included, is it worth it? Is that something which is, which is you know, reasonable or even moral to do, considering they are one of the harshest critics of these policies and they consider them, they've, you know, called them things such as inhumane, <laughs> but now they are passively supporting them in the sense where up on that stage they together said protect our borders and protect our climate and endorsed these very strict policies in terms of deportation and in terms of refugees yeah as i say i don't know a lot of the details it makes me it makes me uncomfortable to think (laughs) that you're in that Mm. that position but i'm i'm not without knowing the details I'm not going to say that it's the right or the wrong thing. I'm saying it probably it's a high risk thing to do as a, it's to go into any coalition with a small as a smaller party. It's a high risk thing to do uh, because you, you do run that risk of kind of getting swallowed up, if you like. Um, and so but uh, for instance, so the Green Party have the justice portfolio within that within that government. So they will probably be hoping to ameliorate the policies and at some level they're having to say where can we have the most influence are we going to have the most influence as an outsider party speaking in or are we going to have the most influence on the inside mm-hmm. and I say it's setting it's how you set up that framework that's really important and i don't know whether the green party of austria have done that in <laughs> a course, way that i course. would agree or not <laughs> but um i just think that politics is messy it is really difficult to uh, be clear on to to figure out the best way of meeting your priorities. And certainly, I don't know if you want me to talk about in this country, for instance. I find it I, f- I find it very difficult to imagine a situation where the the Green Party mm-hmm. would be in any kind of coalition with the Conservative Party in this country, purely because if we sat down and worked through those priorities, they just wouldn't match up mm-hmm. in a way that allowed us to but that's not to say that i wouldn't start that conversation because you know there are there are people within the conservative party that 
care a lot about climate change. And there are still, believe it or not, one nation conservatives <laughs> in the Conservative Party, particularly at local government level, actually. Um, and so I would... I, it w I wouldn't not have a, that conversation. And of course, there's various levels of cooperation as well. You, there's, it's, as we now, we're now um, a bit more familiar in this country with the idea of confidence and supply agreements mm -hmm. and, you know, that kind of thing or agreement on a case by case basis. And so the Green Party are very clear that we want to reach out to other parties and do politics mm -hmm. differently and find the points of agreement and interest where we can work together while still being really clear say right we can agree on this bit but actually this bit we we're just too far apart and we're going to happy to be that outsider voice speaking in could you not say that you know as was established in the first segment um you know the, it, this is a, this is a crisis you know this is this is the pending doom of humanity um so to prompt it as a hypothetical if the conservative party came to to you say you were in charge of the greens they came to you tomorrow and they said right here's the deal you you ditch all of your social justice rhetoric you ditch all of that we will take on ambitious and uh progressive climate policies in specific areas but you have to be in line with us uh in the in these ways and you have to vote with us um would it not would you not surely snap at the chance if the climate is as uh, at such as you say a knife edge on it is surely abandoning some um, ideologies or some ideals around things like immigration is a necessary sacrifice in order to steer us away from sheer destruction. Well, as we've already talked about, climate change and how we live within our means on the planet and social justice are, uh, are intrinsically linked. So we wouldn't just better say, ditch the same, that, that makes no sense. Um, I'd probably, if somebody came to me and said that, I'd say... Well, that's an interesting conversation over there. Let's get down to some hard-nosed negotiation and see where we get to. Um, so, and I think um, it's about understanding in that situation, as in like, you know, in a business deal situation, it's understanding what power you have and what your risks are and how much do the other party need you, to, how far you can push them to get the things that you want. And it's about understanding that power dynamic. And I don't think it's something that we talk about enough mm. in in politics or in business or in society about understanding what power we do have, what influence we can have, and then how we play our cards to meet those kind of underlying values and priorities that we have. You, you've spoken a lot about <clears throat> this hard-nosed negotiation, but everyone knows that in a negotiation, you've got to give some something up. So I yeah. guess the natural question is, which of your core values would you be willing to give up in order to have the Green Party have a real impact in terms of policy, in order to actually make a difference in terms of very specifically on policy and in government, um, in terms of things like, uh, as you said, you know, um, bringing the <clears throat> the targets closer to now, actually ensuring that we do more, putting this and even simply putting the message out in it from a greater standpoint. What would you be willing to have to leave on that table? I, well, I don't think I say I don't think it's about leaving your values. I think it's about trying to find ways of achieving things that you can both you can all agree on. Um, and yeah, you're not going to be completely happy with anything. But normally, it's about the the speed or the rate of progress rather than a fundamental disagreement. So, I mean, at the moment, I'm part of the climate change cross party group at Warwickshire County Council. That is a conservative-run administration. Um, I am I'm pushing for that report about what the county council does to be as 
um, you know, as as um, advanced as as possible and push as hard as I can. And uh, I'm I have a number of options I can do. I can I can stay on board inside that group and accept that I'm getting somewhere, but the progress isn't as fast as I'd want. Or I could step outside and be a complete outsider or try and find a way of doing a bit of both. So it's kind of that's what I'm doing every day within politics is how how do I move, you know, which of my tools that I have available do I move to move those priorities forward? To go back to um, trying to get it down to more specifics, um, I would say that the number one thing, at least in Austria, and most likely what would be on the cards in the UK would be <laughs> something like immigration. Um, if... Uh, say the Conservative Party came to you exactly today yep. and they said, right, um, here's everything you want in terms of climate, but our immigration policy is going to be exactly what it is now in, ter in terms of their, what they want to implement. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of things like hard Brexit and reducing borders and uh, sorry, not reducing, but increasing borders, um, do you see uh, immigration as something you would be willing to say, all right, fine, we'll accept a more conservative issue um standpoint immigration mm -hmm. so that the uk personally can become more climate i guess progressive so first of all within the you have to take a party along with you so in some way whatever i of course of course and secondly the, thing, the secondly party. thing to say is that i don't think the conservatives still know what they want their immigration <laughs> policy to be so it might be a bit difficult to negotiate with them on that one so i think there's this on immigration, there's certain like so at the moment there's this discussion about how we make sure that our EU nationals that have lived here for so long, how we make sure that they are um you know, they can be confident in their status. Uh and for instance, so even within the framework, the Conservative setting down, there's still things that the Green Party would want to push for. You know, should we offer them all British nationality free if that's mm. what they want? Um, and but then once we've once we've left the European Union and once we have um, we've done Brexit or the first bit of Brexit, we all know that there's <laughs> a lot more of Brexit to come. Then we have to accept that even if that's not we, what we wanted in the freedom of movement within Europe, has, that that has gone. We have to we will have to accept that. Um, as a party and as a country. And so as your starting point, unfortunately, changes. So I wouldn't be in favour of suddenly having a, um, it, it, a radical, let's quick go completely back the other way. We've got to adapt to the new thing and say, how do we apply our values of freedom of movement, of care for refugees? How do we apply it in this new environment that we're in, whether we like that <laughs> environment or not? And so... Yeah, I I would I would go and negotiate on that <laughs> okay. basis. So I wouldn't say exactly sure. what, the, but freedom of movement or or I think there's an underlying principle here on immigration about that are we valuing other people's lives in other countries around the world as much as we are ours? Uh, do we really understand? why people want to be economic migrants. People don't generally want to leave their family and their country, but they feel so often that they have no choice. And if we can look at free movement of people through that lens and say, OK, how can we support what 
the wants and needs of people around the world. So how can we support, I don't know, Poland or Central European mm -hmm. people to, to be an economy, a place where people want to live? And how can we see that through other people's eyes? You know, it's walking a mile in other people's shoes. And that's what, regardless of what agreement or anything that very hypothetically <laughs> we're talking about, um, is to bring that to a discussion and have that kind of empathy and 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 i think some of the policies might change and how we do international aid might change when we kind of view things through that lens do you not recognize a sort of almost uh, a separation between the first segment where you know as i said earlier it's a crisis it's a knife edge to um a sort of more um a less hard-nosed I would be willing to give certain things up because, you know, perhaps the best in terms of immigration, perhaps the best way to help the rest of the world mm -hmm. is to improve our climate policy so that we don't burn in a few, in, you know, in, in, in a matter of 10 years. Yeah. Do you see that as a sort of, perhaps there's a sort of um, a disconnect in, in, in the Green Party and perhaps uh, in general with how big of a problem we see it as and what we would be willing to, to give up in a sense or... Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question but an important one to ask mm -hmm. because, as you said, like politics is about priorities, like, and that's what you've been kind of yeah. driving <laughs> at. And obviously, when if I'm my set of asks, if I'm in any negotiation, climate change is all. And but but climate change in a way that delivers social justice, both nationally and internationally, mm -hmm. is always going to be at the top. So yeah, you you are not going to get all the things you want. But I think those other things. Are, Again, a lot of it is about speed and type of progress rather than being dichotomously sure. opposite. Mm. And I think it's trying to be trying to find those win wins um, or the things that you can live with. Um, but yeah, priorities. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. how a negotiation works. Very interesting. Okay, I'm going to go to our second break and our second song. Um, this is uh, Fickle Friends with Pretty Great. And we are back. Whew, that was a fun, a fun second segment there. It gets got quite exciting, <laughs> uh, uh, particularly particularly um, spicy for a uh, for a climate change segment. Um, so we're going to have a nice little bit of a, <laughs> a slightly more relaxed uh, third part, uh, talking about the role of the Green Party and should they exist. Um, far less, far less. Um, the direct. existential challenge, <laughs> the, the existential crisis of the Green Party. No. Um, so the, our final segment is simply just going to be on um, the role of third parties. Um, at the end of your uh, Hustings speech um, for the last uh, MP election, you talked about um, why you should vote third party, even if people don't believe that they, you know, they're, they're not they're never going to win. Um, and I'm simply going to pose the question, are third party spoiler candidates and are they wasted votes? Well, that's that's an extremely loaded way of uh, <laughs> talking about the democratic <laughs> process, isn't it? But let's uh, let's start that. So a little bit of democracy. Shame. A li <laughs> Just a little bit. So in uh, in the political process, what I find interesting is that politicians and political parties pour over how people vote uh, it's quite you know a lot of people don't give a huge amount of thought to who they vote for you know there's um surveys that show that like 11 percent of people walking to a polling booth not knowing who they're going to vote for but political parties they're counting every vote and so what i would say is that every time that somebody votes green 
it is having a positive influence on um, public policy and on what happens and what other political parties are going to say. So every, there is no such thing in that sense as a wasted vote because every time you vote Green, you are having an impact. And we've seen that like in Warwick District locally. Uh, prior to this May, there was only one Green councillor and I think we got maybe 11% of the vote over Warwick District as a whole. In May, we went to eight councillors and 23% of the vote. And the change <laughs> in how seriously mm. what I said was taken by the other parties was just monumental. Now, of course, there's you know, the wider climate issues, but parties are now falling over themselves <laughs> to, to pursue green policies. Mm. And now we've got more elected people in the room holding them to, their, mm. to account when they say, that, say those words. So... There is no such thing as a wasted vote. The next thing I'd say, though, is we do live in, a, in national elections. We have an incredibly screwed up electoral system. And so I had so many people come up to me at the general election and say, Jonathan, I'm just really torn <laughs> between, you know, I want to vote Tory to keep Corbyn mm. out or I want to vote Labour to keep the Tories out. Uh, but yet my heart says yeah. vote for you. And I think I like your policies. I like who you are as a person, <laughs> but I'm not going to vote for you. Um, Must be very frustrating. Well, yeah. you know, I try and be very gracious because I understand <laughs> how I understand that kind of tearing feeling that we have because of the electoral system. But um, but ultimately, I think if people want change, they have to vote for the change they want to see. And the other thing to say is not only should people do people need to vote they need to tell other people they need to vote that is how you really have a, an influence if you if you tell five or six of people around you who you're going to vote for that has an influence because people like to back a winner they like to back the person that's got momentum and so i think people underestimate the power they have in our democratic system to change things um and so you know if everybody that said that kind of wanted to vote for the Green Party at the last election did, certainly Warwick District, I think we would have been up around that 20%. And we're right in, you know, it could have been a four-way battle in Warwick and Leamington. So, but people have to make that step. And I, I, I kind of really sympathise with people that, that say, I have to vote for my least worst option. Um, but as a party, we have to, we have to try and run, deal with that because it, the electoral system ain't changing anytime mm -hmm. soon. You know, um, the Conservatives have been very clear that they're not interested and Labour refused to make any commitment on proportional representation. The only leadership candidate, Clive Lewis, who had publicly advocated PR, didn't even make it mm. past the first hurdle. So as a party, again, it's we have to accept reality and go and make that case and find ways to win and 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 uh, you know win win council seats, win European seats. Well, not for much longer. Uh, <laughs> oh well. <laughs> and um, and our influence will continue to grow, and um, and hopefully we can show people that 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 momentum is there, and that they can vote for the people they want to see in government and stand a chance of winning. Could you not say that? Um, so when you described it as the Green Party have had great influence in having 
you know, influence other parties to adopt um, more green policies, which I would say is probably undoubtedly true. I mean, you know, Labour have certainly done it, and even the Conservatives have done it to a, to a great extent, actually, yep. very impressively. Yeah. Um, but would you not say that okay, if that's the aim, is to push people to green policy? Do you see an end goal for the like for the existence of the Green Party? Do you see right finally every party has at least something acceptable? We are going to stop taking votes in in the most like in the most like you know to be a cynical view to say all right fine we're going to stop um, we're going to try and let who we have a great chance at winning at this point from just going through and will be assimilated by for example I don't know the Labour Party or by the Lib Dems or even the Conservatives. Do you see an end goal for the Green Party in terms of right this is now an accepted viewpoint we we're going to step out of the way and we're going to join one of the major parties or it even just simply become an outside voice. I don't think probably you would ask that question to any of the other parties. Do you imagine <laughs> like dissolving yourself at a certain I wish. point? I wish I could. Um, so, you know, I think what I love about being in the Green Party is that we're very happy to give away our ideas, like things on living wage, mm. which were completely off the table. We were the ones advocating it. But we've always got another idea once we've given <laughs> yeah. our idea away. So we're, uh, we're always ready um, to say, OK, and here is the next step towards uh, a sustainable and just uh, society. So I don't see that uh, changing anytime soon. And the other thing I'd say is that the power of that green voice in the room in the in making the decisions really behind closed doors that that is making a massive difference just one or two greens on a council and then a group that that influence and so being an outside campaigny voice is fine but we want to be in on the action where the decisions are being made and to, and for that we need people to vote for us so that we are elected, so we can be in that those decision-making situations. You described yourself as a pragmatist earlier, and I think I would go with the question. So I think it, most people would accept that Labour's at uh, the last, last general, general election, their 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 policies on you know, green politics, particularly like the Green Industrial Revolution, was very strong, very in line with the Green Party. Would you not say that it would make sense for them to for the Green Party to either very much strongly try and go? should have aimed for a coalition or should have simply stepped out of the way in certain seats from a pragmatic viewpoint of, well, they're, they're simply more likely to win, unfortunately. We should only be challenging in areas where they're less likely to win. Or was that something you just you, you would say that's that's ridiculous and we are, you know, we still are our own voice in a sense? Yeah, we're, we are a political party with a distinct, you know, philosophy. Mm. and And so to not stand and to not have that opportunity to move the political debate that that is a bizarre thing i think to ask for a political party unless there is a clear um well-defined negotiation and and reason for mm-hmm. for standing aside in a particular seat which is exactly what we did working with the liberal democrats and and plaid cymru and unfortunately labor just weren't interested in having that that discussion because they kind of just thought that we should stand aside without them even having that mm. that discussion to understand that we would be giving something up. What would they be giving <laughs> be giving up? Uh, and so, as I say, I'm always happy to talk and work and work mm-hmm. out whether there is something. The other thing about standing aside is I think it's a lot less simple. That so, especially on the left, there's this there's this kind of underlying assumption that. All the people that vote for Lib Dems, Green and Labour are kind of basically mm. the same and they're not Tories. <laughs> and, but 
that is cannot be further from the truth. Like on the doorstep, I met so many people that were saying, well, do you know what? I'm, I'm deciding between conservative and green because I really care about the environment. But I want, I don't know, I believe in small government or something or, or I want Brexit mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And, and likewise, there are people that might vote Liberal Democrat that would never vote Labour. And, but I think uh, what I find is that people within the Labour movement find that really, mm -hmm. really difficult to understand mm -hmm. because in their world it is <laughs> Tory or mm. not Tory. <laughs> and, and so but that's not how the electorate think. Mm -hmm. And so to, to assume that if we weren't to stand, all the other, that all the votes would just come flocking over to Labour, that's, <laughs> that's just mm. a fundamental misunderstanding of how the electorate work. And actually, it's treating the electorate really poorly to think that that's how how it works um and so i think that kind of mentality is something that that the labor movement needs to be thinking about about how we how that how they address that in the future well fantastic this has been amazing thank you so much for coming on uh, i'll give you a second now just for a quick you know sentence or two a little bit of time just to say what would you what do you want people to do or what would you suggest people should do individually what is the best way if they care about climate issues to get involved and to uh spread the message or simply to just or to help in any way they can yeah well there's loads of opportunities within party politics um obviously uh get involved <laughs> in the green party locally we're one of the most active parties mm. in the country so there's loads and loads of stuff going on on policy on action but then there's also the climate strike movement or there's i'd just say if uh, whatever sphere you're interested in, whether it be business or something else, get out there and put your head above the parapet uh, and advocate advocate for change. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on, John. Uh, everyone, please follow follow John on Twitter. It's at John Chilvers, I believe. That's right. Um, please follow him. This has been great. He tweets great climate stuff and occasionally uh, retweets my thing telling about this show. So that's nice. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Do you have anything you want to plug? Any, any, any last words for the, for the dutiful future listeners? Well, no, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very much for having me on. Thank you so much. This has been great. I'm going to play our last song, which is by an artist called Barracuda called, uh, the song's called Charlie. Enjoy. Thank you very much.